0: What up world? Surpass First Point Guard and Blazer Beat Writer Mike Richmond you are listening to Locked On Blazers part of the Locked On Podcast Network available wherever you get podcasts. There was some news today in Blazerland some very big news. Blazers made a huge splash trade and then at the very end of the night literally just before I hit record on this podcast the Blazers added to their 13th man to the roster. We will talk about the big move and the minor move. We'll talk about who the Blazers got. We'll talk about who they lost as two of their free agents who were kind of inevitably going to leave but decided, but officially left today. Left, and then we'll talk about what's next. A familiar format if you listened to the last one of these. If you didn't listen to the last one, probably still relevant. Talk a little bit about Blazer free agency. Just don't have the updated what's next. It took us less than a day to find out what's next, of course. Because this morning, the Blazers traded Maurice Harkless and Myers Leonard to, well, initially to the Miami Heat. But in exchange, they landed Heat Center Hassan Whiteside. Uh, More on Whiteside in a second, but just the parameters of this trade. Uh... This was part of a four-team sign-and-trade. It's basically the—it the, ended up being part of the deal that got Jimmy Butler sign-and-traded from the—he was a free agent to land on the Heat. The Heat acquired Harkless—or excuse me, acquired Myers Leonard. They sent Harkless over to, uh, over to the, the Clippers along with uh, a first-round pick in order to clear space for Jimmy Butler to sign him to a max contract, and the Blazers, for their troubles, ended up with Hassan Whiteside. Now, I'm, I want to be up front with this right away, because I'm going to talk for, you know, six, eight, ten minutes about Hassan. I am not a fan of his game. Even when three years ago, when Whiteside was, like, far and away the NBA league leader in blocks, your boy Mike G. Rich was not a, not a Hassan Whiteside fan. So, take that um, I always kind of found his game a little bit hollow. Um, so take that from with the, with everything that I, with my analysis from here on out, known hater or known skeptic, I guess is probably a more fair way to say that. But last year with, uh, Miami, Whiteside averaged 12.3 points, 11.3 rebounds, 1.9 blocks. Uh, he started about the first 55, 60 games with them, but then down the stretch, uh, when he when the Heat were really pushing for the playoffs, uh, in the final month of the season in March in March and April, he lost a starting spot to Bam Adebayo. And without getting too caught up in the in the advanced stats, I could kind of drag you through them if I really wanted. As like this is why the nerds hate Hassan Whiteside. Uh, just on off numbers if you if you're looking at sort of defensive ratings. The Heat were a little better defensively when, when Whiteside was on the bench last year. It's part of the reason why Adebayo played down the stretch. That said, this is a low-risk move. I, like The Blazers land a guy who's going to start at center with Yusuf Nurkic out until at least January and maybe February with the broken leg. They land a guy who's a starting center. It, it, it means they don't have to start Myers Leonard at center. It means they don't have to start Zach Collins at center. This is a relatively low-risk move. He fits the Blazers' defensive, this white side, defi- fits the Blazers' defensive scheme. They want to drop on pick and rolls and kind of let the big man play center field. That fits his skill set. He'll do that well, or at least in theory, he can do that well. And he should be motivated. He's in a contract year. That's another reason why it's pretty low risk. At the end of this season, he's making $27 million this season, but the, this is it. He, is, he's, he doesn't have a player option, nothing else. He'll be After this year, he's, he'll be back into free agency. There's real motivation for him to play well and be an impact player and look like for the rest of the league, or maybe, very seems unlikely the Blazers, but look like for the rest of the league, that he's worth offering another big money contract to. But there is a real chemistry risk. Uh, I saw someone who worked for the Miami Heat today describe Hassan Weissite as an energy vampire. And I think that might be the best, uh, if you're if you're trying to figure out why people don't like him. Energy vampire might be the, the phrase that... Uh, that, that really sums up the criticism of him, is that he, does, he just doesn't always play hard and play smart, and sometimes the, his sort of slogging, lack of, lack of focus, lack of concerted effort for long stretches can really weigh on a team. Now, what the Blazers are betting is that with Damian Lillard and with Terry Stotts and the, and the culture that they've created here, that they can negate some of his worst tendencies. That they, that the Blazers, with sort of the way that their best player approaches things and the way that he demands of his teammates, the way Dame dema- makes demands on his teammates, that Hassan Whiteside will come to work every day. He will give his full effort. There won't be those, you know, uh, sort of uneven moments. Uh, it kind of reminds me of two years ago with Yusuf Nurkic when... when If things didn't go his way, his effort would wane a little bit. But then he kind of got things together last year and was one of the 30 best players in the league. So I think the Blazers are hoping that that's what it is for Hassan Whiteside, is that he can get it together. He can figure out, listen, you're our starting center. You're the guy we've invested a lot in. And you can be part of the solution. Uh, Interestingly enough, the Blazers chased Hassan Whiteside in in the summer of 2016. They made a... They, t- they tried to get him in. They tried to sign him. He was a free agent that summer. He ended up signing a four-year, $98 million contract. This is the back half of that deal. This is the final year of that deal. But they tried to chase him in 2016. It's just proof that if you're one of Neil's guys, he will come get you. He he, he kind of targets people, keeps an eye on them, and then gets them. This is, this is, for what it is, I said it's low risk. And it's low risk because... You know, as nice as Myers Leonard was in the final two games of his Blazers career, uh, he had seven years to pop with the Blazers, and he never really did. I know that he's a divisive guy, and I don't really want to get into whether his career was worth it or whatever it, all that is. You've already made your your decision on Myers Leonard. If you listen to this podcast, I'm sure you have a, a an opinion on whether Myers is worth it or not. What he wasn't was clearly a starting center. He was, he was still a question mark. And Maurice Harkless... Uh, is a pretty good, useful wing. He'll start on a lot of teams. If he won't start, he'll be one of their top eight rotation players pretty much on every team in the NBA. But Whiteside's upside is so much more significant than what those two guys offer that at worst, this is probably a neutral mood unless, of course, his attitude could be problematic enough to hurt the chemistry that the Blazers have built. And to that point, during uh, one of the recent press conferences, uh, Jason Quick of The Athletic asked Neil Olshay exactly about that, and I thought Neil had a really interesting response. Usually I'd play you that audio here, but uh, I didn't have time to chop it up, so I'll just read you the quote. This is from Neil Olshay. We look at talent, and we look at chemistry, and look at character. It's always the same scale are you more valuable than your problems. There are degrees. There's just degrees with different players. Guys who maybe take a little more maintenance but they're worth it. There are guys who are going to infect there are guys who are going to infect your culture and damage the ecosystem you have in your locker room and that's probably not worth it. So the Blazers are clearly banking that Hassan Whiteside in a contract year with just one year of maybe even just a half a year of needing him to be their starting center is worth it. That he won't damage the ecosystem, and and I don't want to speculate too far down the road, but he's an expiring contract, so conceivably the Blazers could flip him or move him at the trade deadline and get something for him if a team is looking to maybe give up some a player on a longer term deal and get out from under his money, or they're trying to give or or a team that's in you know buy now mode needs a center and the Blazers have a healthy use of Nurkic back. That's a little bit too much speculation for July. But it's certainly something to keep in the back of your mind that he's an expiring deal and the Blazers didn't commit long-term money to him. And if nothing else, without any moves, the Blazers can sit still and watch Kent Bazemore and Hassan Whiteside's deals expire and go into the summer of 2020 with a little bit of cap space and maybe a chance to very briefly, although unlikely, Duck the luxury tax for a season. So that's my thoughts on Whiteside. I don't think this is a home run. I think this is a a hard-hit double. I think it certainly helps the Blazers and has a chance to be very helpful for the Blazers. But I don't see this as the last piece to their championship core. I see this as a really low-risk move that could pay huge dividends, particularly with the Blazers' troubles up front, considering the rest of their roster. What it did do is sacrifice some depth. But the Blazers addressed at least the basics of their depth on Monday evening when they signed veteran Anthony Tolliver. Tolliver's a career 36.6 three point shooter. Last year, he shot right about that career average 37.7 on three attempts a game. Played about 17 minutes a night in 65 games off the bench for the Wolves. Um, this is a, if, if Hassan Whiteside is a, is a low risk, Anthony Tolliver is a no risk. Dude's 34. Uh, he just turned 34. He's played 13 NBA seasons. Uh, if you remember, this is technically his second stint with the Blazers. During the 09 0-9 season, 09 010 0910 09 010 season, uh, Tolliver came to the Blazers on a 10 on a day deal, and he played two games right around Christmas. He played a minute and nine seconds at Miami. No statistics except a foul. And then he played uh, two nights later at Dallas. He played three minutes, missed his only field goal attempt. It was a three, my man. Grabbed a rebound, and that was it. Four total minutes across two games. Then he was cut, waived. They let him go. So now, a full decade later, Tolliver... Back after it at 34 I like this move just because the Blazers roster didn't have anyone who was a power forward on it Tolliver certainly is that and he can shoot I think adding a sh- a true shooting power forward allows him even if he has real struggles on defense at age 34 which I think is a believable thing he was never an elite defender he I mean he's, he's just been a stretch four even before that was cool in fact he played small forward back then because there was no such thing as a guy his size playing power forward But he can shoot it. And one little note, without looking at the box score, just because watching Anthony Tolliver, one thing you'll love, always jumps forward on threes. Really has that sort of like landing zone about a foot and a half forward from where he jumps. That's a fun thing to look forward to, is him with a kind of goofy mechanics. Really kind of pushes his legs and arms forward on on a a wide-legged release. This is a low-risk thing. The Blazers didn't have a power forward on the roster, really. Uh, they were relying on mostly Zach Collins to play that spot. I still think he's the likely starter. And then, and then otherwise, it was going to be some sort of committee of Mario Hazonia, Rodney Hood, and potentially Jake Lehman. Those dudes aren't really power forwards. They needed someone who at least kind of fit the bill behind Collins. Tolliver, on a vet minimum deal, a dude who can really shoot it, shoots you know slightly above league average and has forever. Fits that role. I don't think he plays a ton of minutes, but he's an option and a proven, he has a proven NBA skill that is valuable. So that's who the Blazers got. They got Haw- Hassan Whiteside, who you might love, but I'm not wild about. They got Anthony Tolliver, who you've never heard of and you shouldn't be wild about, but he's fine. Next up, we'll talk about who the Blazers lost. Lost is maybe not the right word, but it's a couple Blazers moved on from the team. We'll talk about that in the second segment. But first, I want to remind you guys for all the latest takes on NBA free agency, you can follow all the Locked On Podcast Network hosts on one Twitter feed. That's at Locked On NBA Net on Twitter. It's an awesome way to get all the latest opinions from local experts during NBA free agency. Follow along there at Locked On NBA Net. Check it out. All right, so we talked about who the Blazers got. Hassan Whiteside, uh, potentially impact starting center who blocks shots, grabs rebounds, does a lot of things well on a permanent basis, has some, has some issues but can ball. They got Anthony Tolliver, a dead-eye shooter who doesn't do much else and is 34 years old. But here's who they lost. And there's some interesting stuff with who they lost. We'll start with the less interesting one, and we'll move on to the one that has a little more drama. And of course it has drama because it's Enes Kanter. Blazers weren't getting Seth Curry back both because I think he wanted a bigger role than was available to him in Portland and also because they had spent all their money on everyone else. But Seth Curry, you may know him as Stephen Curry's little brother, One hell of a three-point shooter last year in a limited role with the Blazers, got four years and $32 million from the Dallas Mavericks. Good for Seth. He's bounced around so many teams. It took him so long to stick finally in the league. He was really valuable for the Blazers in his limited role. He had some... Um, so he just had some really big moments. He he didn't, you know, he came he was coming off that stress stress fracture in his leg that cost cost him an entire season. And once he kind of got his legs under in the second half of the year, he was way better and 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 straight up useful. Uh, you know, he was never going to be a high-volume guy with Damon CJ, but he proved to be, in my mind, a better defender than I thought he would be, a decent pick and roll option in the very, very, very limited chances he could get, and also. He's got that Curry blood in him, and the dude can shoot over 40% from three. Uh, didn't take a ton of attempts, but even when his sort of usage went up in those games at the end of the season when uh, McCollum was out, he proved he can go score, averaging about 15 a game down the stretch of the final 10 games of the regular season. Dude can play. I'm happy that he got $8 million a year. I'm happy that he got some job security with the Mavericks, a team he's obviously returning to. It's who he played for before he signed with the Blazers. Good for Seth. Seth thanked the Blazers on Instagram with a couple of posts about how it was a special team and a special run, and he appreciated his brothers in Portland. Now, the other Blazer who officially left the team was Dennis Kanter. Uh, he signed a two-year, $10 million contract with Boston. The second year is a player option, so really it's about one year, $5 bucks. Uh, I kind of thought Ennis Kanter would be worth more than that on the open market, but it shows you how, how low the value is on true centers. But the point isn't that Ennis Kanter is going to probably go start for the Boston Celtics. The point is that Ennis Kanter told Mark Spears of the undefeated that the Blazers only gave him a really limited window to make the decision. And let me read you this quote. It looks like it's a screenshot from a text that Mark Spears got. This was shared on Twitter, and this is the quote from presumably from the text Cantor wrote. Okay, I was considering signing with the Blazers, but they gave me only six minutes to make a decision. I felt pressure and I didn't feel comfortable. So I told them I need to think about it so I I can call my brother so he can ask my family because I can't call my family directly, but they keep pushing me. So I told them no, and that's N-O, all caps, exclamation point. So there's some some speculation since this came out today that... um, this kind of decision lines up with the Hassan Whiteside deal. But to me, that doesn't really make sense because by today, this morning, when the Blazers woke up, it's not like they had money to offer Anis Cantor. The only thing they had to offer him was... Uh, the veteran minimum, you would assume that he wasn't taking that deal. So it's more likely that this conversation happened on Sunday while the team was debating over who they would give the taxpayer mid-level exception to. That's about $5.7 million a year. The Blazers eventually, of course, gave that money to Rodney Hood. And it's basically the money that Ennis Cantor took with the Boston Celtics. Um, Here's where Ennis' story doesn't really line up to me. Heading into free agency, and I told you guys this on the podcast, the Blazers knew the tools they had to work with. I knew that they had a 5.7 taxpayer pyramid level If you follow this team, you knew, and you're sort of into the money stuff, you knew. That means Ennis knew. His representation knew. This wasn't a surprise. I don't buy that he was caught off guard, and that with just six minutes he didn't know when the phone rang. He knew what the deal was. If the Blazers were offering him a contract, that first year was going to be 5.7 million at the absolute most, with the chance to be to give a you know a, a modest raise up to about six million. The question was years. Would it be two, th- two or three or four years at that level? What was Ennis willing to take? But this doesn't look good for the Blazers. And a lot of people, when, when this tweet came out, uh, you know, kind of said, this is embarrassing. This isn't a way to deal with your own free agents. You don't have to act this way. But like I said, I just don't buy that, that this window existed. And I'm kind of going against the guy who had someone take a picture of him on the training table and with the tweet of the caption, whatever it takes. The dude kind of likes drama. This seems like more of that drama. And then Damian Lillard, of course, took to Twitter and said, I'm going to read you a couple Dame tweets. He says, sometimes there's a chance you lose out on two people because you're waiting on one. What I can confirm is that my boy was not given six minutes, lol. He was probed down to six minutes from the original 45. In another tweet, he later said, I was there. 45 minutes ain't that long either. But nobody wants to be left in Empty-handed, wanna be left empty handed. I guess I should give Dame his full credit on that one. So yeah, kind of seems like the that the Blazers said, here's the deal, take it or leave it, and Cantor wanted a little more time to debate, and the Blazers moved quickly. Guess what? That's kind of how the league works. Cantor ended up getting basically the same money somewhere else. If you wanna think the Blazers treated him poorly, that's fine. I'm not buying that story. Sounds like Damian Lillard isn't either. But nonetheless, Ennis Cantor's gone. He was gone the moment they signed Rodney Hood. They didn't have any more money after that. And it's not like they could trade for him because he was a free agent. So, it was a done deal Sunday, which makes me think that on June 30th, as the sort of things got going, they contacted Ennis He wanted to test, he wanted to sort of test his market. The Blazers didn't have time to test their market because they wanted to move in on Rodney Hood and get him to a very team-friendly deal. That's how it seems to end. So Ennis is gone with a little bit of drama. Seth Curry's gone with basically no drama. It's funny because while they were here, I would have assumed that Ennis Cantor enjoyed his time with the Blazers and Seth Curry much less, just considering their roles and all those things. But hey, that's kind of how things go. Uh, They don't always end the way you'd expect. So the Blazers have 13 players on the roster. They also made a move on the coaching staff officially. We'll talk about those two things next. A little bit of news, and what's next for this Blazer team in the third segment. But before I do that, I want to tell you guys, when you're driving to work, or from work, or just around town. All you have to do is tell your smart device in your car, play podcast Locked On Blazers, and I will be right there with you for the drive. Make it a part of your daily routine. Whenever you get in your car, tell your smart device, play podcast Locked On Blazers. All right, welcome back. Still Mike Richmond, still Locked On Blazers. So the Blazers, uh, I I talked about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, It became officially official. They announced the hiring of General Pargo as an assistant coach. But along with that hiring, the Blazers made two moves. One, I had speculated on on that podcast, Jim Moran moves to the front of the bench. He's kind of the, he was the obvious choice uh, among the Blazers, the longest tenured guy on that coaching staff. And kind of when there is a hole, unless you're going to hire a veteran, if you're going to hire kind of like a new new face that doesn't have a ton of assistant, NBA assistant coaching experience or NBA coaching experience that someone would be promoted, that happens to be Jim Moran. 37-year-old who was a monster in the Spanish League. Look him up. Incredibly good dude. Uh, You know, I've said a million times, hard to say what exactly the effective assistant coaches are, but I know Jim Moran is really friendly, and I'm happy for him. The other news, Nate Tibbetts, Blazers assistant coach, sort of the other guy with David Vanderpool that was always getting sniffs around the league for head coaching jobs. Nate Tibbetts officially promoted to associate head coach. You would assume that comes with a pay raise. So congratulations to Nate Tibbets. He had a new title and a little bit more cheddar. Probably also means, uh, that the Blazers kind of want to lock into this coaching staff a little bit, give Tibbetts a reason to stick around. Um, and not lose him the way they lost Vanderpool, who kind of went somewhere for a bigger title and more money and maybe a better shot at becoming a head coach. This promotes Tibbetts up the chain. It still makes him hireable around the league because he's now has the title associate head coach, but it gives him more incentive to not leave the Blazers for a similar position. So that's the deal with the Blazers coaching staff. Blazers coaching staff gets to work. Tuesday morning, they open Summer League practice at Towalton. So, if you listen to this Tuesday morning and not extremely late on Monday night when I publish this, it's happening right now. Blazers are opening up training, opening up Summer League training camp. They've announced the roster. Uh, We'll talk more about that later this week when we kind of get closer to Summer League. This podcast is mostly about free agency. Unfortunately, those two things overlap, and I only got 30 minutes to chat with y'all. So, what's next for the Blazers? When I initially was playing for this podcast, they only had 12 players. Now they have 13. I'll kind of read to you what I think their depth chart is. It's going to be Lillard, McCollum, Rodney Hood, Zach Collins, and Hassan Whiteside in the starting lineup. That's not set in stone, but that's my best guess. Off the bench, some combination of Anthony Simons, who's going to play a lot because the Blazers really like him, Kent Bazemore, and then some question marks. Who else fills in that role? Is it Mario Hazonia? Is it Nazir Little or Gary Trent Jr. in his second year? Is it Anthony Tolliver, a veteran who can really shoot it? Is it Scalabissier, a guy who's been in the league, you know, this will be a fourth season in the league, but has never really gotten an opportunity? Can he play a little bit of four and five? It's not going to be of Nurkic, at least not until January. And those are your 13. I think we pretty much know the top seven and eight right now. The eighth man right now probably looks like Tolliver or Hazonia, one of those two. If the Blazers go nine deep, there's a spot on the wing. Is it Gary Trent? Is it Nazir Little? Hard to say. Seems like neither of those guys would play over Jake Lehman if Jake Lehman comes back, but he's a restricted free agent. And if he comes back, the Blazers would be at 14. So that means the Blazers have basically, as we sit today, two roster spots. They have a decision to make on Jake Lehman, who they control his rights. They can match any offer he gets. But he's likely not to get a big offer just at the point we are at in free agency. He certainly could get some multi-year deal from somewhere. But but he's unlikely at this point, as teams have spent most of their cap space, to get sort of a big number that hampers what the Blazers want to do. So he's likely to be back on the cheap. That would give him fourteen. Then the Blazers' question is, do they add an emergency point guard? Do they add a veteran point guard to the bench? Because right now, it's basically Lillard, McCollum, and Simons, guys who would consider point guards. So that would be the spot you're looking at for the 14 or 15th spot. Do they, do they say, we've got enough wings, we don't need Lehman, we've seen enough from him, or do they bring him back and fill out the roster and get number 15 and get a veteran point guard? That's what's next. I think the Blazers have made their moves. Hassan Whiteside was a big surprise. You kind of knew that the Blazers were going to try to make a splash trade just listening to what Neil Olshay said. He said, there aren't going to be fireworks on day one of free agency, and certainly there weren't. This was a a minimum deal for Mario Hazonia and and the taxpayer mid-level for Rodney Hood. While it was surprising and cheap for Rodney Hood, it certainly doesn't qualify as a firework. But then he said, the way we're going to improve this roster is through trades. And he cashed it in. He made his trade trading his two expiring contracts to get Hassan Whiteside. That means that the three expiring contracts the Blazers had left on the roster, Evan Turner, Mo Harkless, Myers Leonard, Neil Olshe has flipped. He's turned those guys into Kent Bazemore and Hassan Whiteside. Seems like the Blazers are pretty much done for the summer. They've got a couple more boxes to check. But the rest of the league isn't done. We don't know where Kawhi Leonard's going. We don't know what the hell the Lakers are going to look like. We don't know what the Clippers and the Mavericks are going to look like just yet. Some of the rest of the rosters around the Western Conference particularly are kind of set. Those three aren't. That's what we're going to find out the rest of the week. And when we do, I'll certainly record a podcast telling you kind of what we know and what the West looks like. And also look a little ahead to Summer League because that's what's coming up this weekend. But through two days, the Blazers have pretty surprisingly, reshaped a roster, giving themselves a chance to kind of be back in that mix for a, you know, home court advantage, playoff seed, and a team that can challenge for the West Finals yet again. Maybe not in the way we thought. Certainly not the way I thought. But they've built the roster quickly. They've kind of cashed in their chips. They haven't wasted any draft picks, any future draft picks. They've got the big word that they love out there. Flexibility. The F word everyone loves to hear when they're talking about roster building. We'll see what the Blazers can do with it in the future. We'll see what happens with the rest of the league coming up this week. I appreciate you guys listening. Tell all your friends about Lockdown Blazers and tell them to listen and download, subscribe, wherever they get podcasts. They can find this one. A lot more stuff coming this week. I'll talk to you guys then. Appreciate you listening.